0: at Surrey Hospital. A weekend stabbing and overwhelmed emergency room has doctors pleading for help in a letter to the health minister.
1: Major improvements to cancer care. We must do more, we must do it now, and we are. With BC's health system lagging, new access to radiation treatment in Washington state. When
2: it starts and which patients qualify.
0: And celebrating the life of our friend. Deb Hope.
2: And she was probably the hardest working person in the entire newsroom when I worked with her. How, How could I, I miss the ball? It's as big as your head.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, not Walk this way. The work ethic and wonderful sense of humor that made her a BC News icon.
3: You're watching
1: Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks very much for joining us. We begin tonight with our struggling healthcare system and more evidence it's under pressure on several fronts.
0: First, violence at Surrey Memorial Hospital. A father and son injured in an unprovoked stabbing. And while both are expected to survive, the attack raises questions once again about safety at healthcare facilities.
4: When you come to the hospital here, Actually, for health care, that's what you come here for, not to get stabbed.
5: A 16-year-old boy and his 51-year-old father suffered non-life-threatening injuries in the unprovoked attack. They were at the hospital visiting a patient. Surrey RCMP say because of the quick actions of hospital security, a suspect was taken into custody.
6: 24-year-old Alex Joseph Flett uh, has been charged with uh, assault with a weapon and aggravated assault in relation uh, to the incident that occurred on Saturday night at Surrey Memorial Hospital. The male who has been charged does have a criminal history.
5: The B.C. Nurses Union says the government needs to do a much better job protecting healthcare workers. Increase security measures in health care settings to protect those patients, nurses and all of the other allied health workers. Back in October, the health minister announced plans to beef up security at hospitals and mental health facilities. I've been told that uh, the full implementation of that program will occur in September of this year. So 320 officers as well as 14 violence prevention uh, leads. The health minister says those additional measures will be in place soon.
7: We have hired the leads, we are hiring people out and we're doing that work right now. It is on track, it's on target and we're going to see that that happens.
5: In a statement, Fraser Health says it will be receiving 95 of the 320 relational security officers. Violence in B.C. hospitals is nothing new. In the fall, a knife-wielding woman tried to break into a room full of newborn babies and chased a doctor at B.C. Women's Hospital. Twenty years ago, a man shot and killed his wife and mother-in-law at the Mission Hospital. Janet Brown, Global News.
1: And there are serious concerns about the quote unsafe conditions at Surrey Hospital or Surrey Memorial Hospital. ER physicians writing a scathing open letter and Aaron MacArthur is live outside the hospital with the details. Aaron, more than two dozen physicians signed this letter saying the alarm bells are being ignored. Yeah, Chris, more than just being ignored, these doctors say they're actively
8: being silenced. The doctors saying they've been told not to talk publicly about their concerns and this open letter a way to anonymously just indicate to the public how dire the situation has become in Surrey Memorial Hospital. This letter only takes up a page but it covers a lot of ground. Uh, Number one on the list is a lack of acute care beds according to these doctors. Not just a Surrey Memorial problem but right around Fraser Health Region. They call it a bed block which means people in the ER who need to go up to the ward often can't get there which means emergency procedures are often being done in inappropriate places like hallways. The doctors also point to a lack of what are called hospitalists, which are physicians that facilitate that transfer between the ER and the wards. And if a doctor can't sign off on getting a patient out of the ED, the emergency department, they often linger there for far too long. And third, the doctors put the blame on this squarely at the feet of elected officials. These issues have been ongoing, as you said, Chris, for some time, and no solutions have been forthcoming. Now, the health minister has a lot of fires to put out today. He did comment about this earlier this afternoon and says discussions are ongoing with the doctors. There's talks planned on Friday to
1: address some of their concerns. All right, Aaron, thanks very much. That's Aaron MacArthur reporting tonight.
0: A big announcement about cancer care in this province now. Right now, BC is dealing with a serious spike in patients. KEITH Baldridge JOINS US WITH MORE ON THIS AND KEITH, IT'S the, NOW REACHED THE POINT WHERE WE'RE SENDING PEOPLE ACROSS THE BORDER TO THE U.S. FOR RADIATION TREATMENT. WHAT HAS CAUSED yeah, we- ALL OF THIS?
3: Yeah, we've sent people before, but not with these numbers, I tell you. So every year, about 14,300 people need radiation treatments in B.C. That number is growing. Our population is exploding. The number of old people is increasing. More and more people are getting cancer. And our cancer treatment system just simply can't keep up. So today, an extraordinary announcement by Health Minister Adrian Dix. Take a look at these numbers. A two-year program, 2,400 cancer patients a year are going to be offered to go down to Bellingham, two clinics down there uh, providing radiation treatments, 12,000 radiation sessions a year because most patients get about five sessions and all expenses we're talking travel accommodation and meals are covered along with you for yourself and for a friend or a partner to accompany you down to Bellingham so an extraordinary development Uh, but Health Minister Dix today saying when people needed to be treated with cancer it has to be done in a timely fashion which is why they jumped at the opportunity to use these two clinics south of the border.
7: In this case, we need to take action while those improvements are taking place because with cancer and radiation treatment, we are not prepared to have people wait. That's why this, um, as as we searched out this option and opportunity, saw that it was available, we did not hesitate to offer this and are not hesitating to offer this to British Columbians.
3: So this should have the effect of shortening the wait list for getting radiation treatments in BC. Again, 82% right now are getting it within 28 days. The goal is to lift that up to 90%. Uh, The program begins on May 29th, and we're talking basically people who are being treated for prostate and breast cancer. They're going to be at the head of the line.
0: It'll be interesting, Keith, to see how long uh, they have to maintain this program Mm -hmm. in the months to come. All right, thanks for that, Keith Baldry in Victoria
1: a follow-up now to our story last week about reports that prescribed safe supply drugs intended for fentanyl addicts are instead either being sold or traded on the street global's paul johnson ventured onto the downtown east side and found out how easy it was to confirm those claims with
9: controversy raging in victoria over the extent to which doctor prescribed opioids are being diverted into the street trade We hit the streets of Vancouver Friday to find out what was really happening. Dillies? We overheard drug dealers shouting, Dillies, the slang word for delauded or hydromorphone, which is one of the drugs the government has encouraged doctors to prescribe as safe supply to those suffering from addiction. In addition to sellers, we had a lot of people ask us if we had dillies appearing to indicate an open and robust aftermarket for the powerful opioid. So here's what happened. It took us about half an hour on East Hastings Street, and we were able to buy 26 tablets. We're told this is hydromorphone, also known as Dilly's, also known as Dilaudid. A lab later confirmed the pills were in fact hydromorphone. Some were still in the package, which doctors say looks like government safe supply pills total price, $30, a little more than a buck a pill.
6: The government at that time actually said
10: that we were fear-mongering and that this wasn't happening.
9: B.C. United MLA Eleanor Sturko says our lunchtime score is evidence the program is in trouble. That many fentanyl users are clearly trading or selling the pills, putting other people at risk of addiction and overdose.
6: When you start seeing a harmful drug circulating and this easy to obtain, this easy to obtain, that there is insufficient safety measures in place.
9: But others say it's too soon to write off the program. The Ministry of Mental Health and Addiction said Friday that the safe supply program is working and that the vast majority of it is not diverted. An addiction survivor, Guy Felicella, said lives have undoubtedly been saved because of it. The opposition has blown it out of proportion to think that we've just handed out drugs to everybody for free. That is not the case. As for the drugs we bought, we dropped them at the police department for safe disposal. In East Van, Paul Johnson, Global News.
1: And Vancouver police say anyone who comes across what they suspect might be dangerous drugs can call their non-emergency line and officers will come and collect the drugs, no questions asked.
0: The embattled CEO of Atira has now resigned following the release of that damning audit of B.C. housing. The resignation of Janice Abbott was announced late this morning, one week after the report was made public, detailing a string of financial irregularities and conflicts of interest. Richard Zussman has more.
2: A change at the top. I'm more hopeful today than I have been uh, that uh, we're on the right
11: path.
12: A week after a scathing forensic audit of Atira was released publicly, CEO Janice Abbott has resigned. Abbott and her husband, former BC housing CEO Shane Ramsey, found to have been in a conflict of interest.
2: The uh, uh, work by Ernst and Young raised some very serious concerns about the conduct inside BC housing, as well as raised questions about what had been happening at Atira.
12: Following Abbott's resignation, a statement from ATIRA's board, reading, The focus for the board now is working collaboratively with the B.C. government and B.C. housing and restoring the public's confidence in ATIRA's integrity, vision, mission, purpose, and values. Funding to the women's housing provider currently frozen by B.C. housing, pending a third-party review. Now confirmed, KPMG will conduct it. A physical inspection of the current facilities is underway, and the province was hoping for a change in leadership, a condition now met due to Abbott's resignation.
2: Uh, that is the path towards restoring trust and ensuring uh, that we can move forward.
12: But even with Abbott's resignation, the current board remains intact. to me, it actually suggests that a broader shakeup in a tier management may be needed to allow for
13: some significant uh, culture change.
12: On Friday, the Squamish Nation Development Wing announced Ramsey was no longer serving as an executive vice president for them. Ramsey was accused of directing funds to ATIRA without the proper insight and deleting text messages connected to deals with ATIRA. The opposition quick to point out funding to the provider grew quickly, under the current government.
2: I think it's important that we start to get uh, full transparency on this critical and damning uh, scandal.
12: Atira has also returned more than $1.9 million in surplus funds. The province has not still announced if and when Atira will be eligible for new B.C. housing money. Richard Wilson, Global News, Victoria.
1: Some breaking wildfire news for you now. The entire town of Fort St. John has been placed on evacuation alert. 20,000 people have been told to be prepared to leave their homes at a moment's notice. Jordan Armstrong joins us now with more on this breaking wildfire news. That's not the only trouble spot in the province either, Jordan.
2: You're absolutely right, Chris. The wildfire situation in the northeastern corner of the province is rapidly worsening at this hour. Two huge and fast-growing fires, the Red Creek and Stoddard Creek fires, are merging. Fort St. John is at the southeastern border of the massive evacuation zone here in red. To be very clear, Chris just mentioned, but we'll reiterate, Fort St. John itself is still on alert, but over the past few hours, more than 20 small rural and First Nations communities have been placed on evacuation order. Those on the west side of the fire are described as being at imminent risk, while road closures are triggering precautionary evacuations on the east side. The big concern right now is the wind whipping across the region causing a huge jump in fire activity
14: so visibility is going to be very
15: challenging and with that wind and the growth that we're we're projecting um, we're likely going to be unable to keep our crews on the wildfires we're going to have to remove them because it won't be safe for them to work adjacent to these fires
2: 300 personnel and 23 helicopters have been fighting these fires. And just to go over the latest numbers affecting people we've just received in, 21,000 people are covered by the evacuation alert in Greater Fort St. John, between 8,500 and 10,000 by the orders north of fort st john so this is affecting a lot of people here we are in mid-may looking at some very serious fires evacuees are being told to go to dawson creek of course we'll keep a close eye on the story throughout the evening chris all right thanks very much jordan
0: well the former vancouver mayor is back in fundraising mode i wanted to ask you about the money that you owe to these individuals i know you released a statement how much money do you owe to these individuals what kennedy stewart says about the debts his campaign still hasn't paid next still to come tonight treating menopause what a new report reveals that could bring relief to countless women that's later on the news hour
1: Right now though, former Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart weighed in today on the controversy surrounding unpaid campaign debts, even asking for help to pay them off.
0: As Grace Key reports, he's responding to reports that at least two businesses say Forward Together
14: still hasn't paid its bills. I wanted to ask you about the money that you owe to these individuals. After repeated requests for interviews, Global News caught up with former Vancouver Mayor Kennedy Stewart regarding outstanding debts from his failed re-election campaign. How much money do you owe to these individuals?
3: They're all paid up.
14: All of them? Because I've talked to uh, one about five minutes ago and he's still, he says he still owed money. Ford together put out an email over the weekend. It included criticism of the East Hastings encampments being cleared. Stewart gave an update on his upcoming book and on the election debt. We have already fully paid most of the service providers to whom we owed small amounts and have payment plans in place to manage the remainder. When did you know that you weren't Bye-bye. going to be able to pay these individuals? The email doesn't define small amounts, but in March, a Burnaby business owner says he was owed more than $2,800 for furniture delivered to Stewart's campaign headquarters last summer. And that campaign manager Neil Monkton offered to make three payments amounting to 10% of the total with an offer to revisit the plan.
7: So we rented them some desks, chairs, folding tables.
14: Ford Together has responded to a civil claim filed by another company owed money. Point Blank Creative is seeking $59,000 in outstanding amounts for media planning and buying services. Ford Together claims Point Blank rejected a payment plan and tried cashing two post-dated checks even though they were told they could not be cashed at that time. The checks bounced. The response also claims Point Blank later deposited a check for $2,000 as part of another payment plan and that the outstanding amount is closer to $57,000. Forward Together has neither refused nor neglected to make any payment in respect of the outstanding amount and they will continue to make payments in accordance with the payment plan. According to Elections BC campaign financing summary, Ford together with Kennedy Stewart reported just over $618,000 in income and $1 million in total expenses during the last civic election. The Ford together email thanks those who donated to help pay their debt and provides a link for donations. Grace Key, Global News.
0: Breaking news now, Global News has learned the Vancouver Park Board General Manager Donny Rosa has left their position as one of the highest paid city employees. Rosa has been the GM since 2020, including the difficult period during the encampment in Strathcona Park, the coyote attacks in Stanley Park and the failure to maintain the Stanley Park train. There will be an acting GM while the city recruits for the role. Rosa made more than $290,000 a year in that position.
1: More than a month after slamming into a Kelowna townhouse, a semi truck was finally removed from the home this morning. But the owners aren't sure they want to go back. It took an 80-ton truck to pull the semi from the home as the displaced homeowners looked on. The crash happened on the morning of April 11th. The family's one-year-old son and his grandmother were both home at the time. Miraculously, neither was hurt. The truck driver also escaped serious injury. The focus now turns to repairing the damage, although the family says they're not sure at this point if they will go back.
2: Just imagining my mother-in-law with the baby, you know, 10 minutes before this accident coming down that stairwell, you know, this, this could have ended way worse. Do we really want to you know, live here anymore with what happened. Like there's a lot of bad stigma with what happened in this corner now. Um, So, you know, I I don't feel confident having kids living in this house again.
1: RCMP are still investigating the cause of the crash and say a mechanical inspection of the truck will be part of that investigation. They're also looking into two separate break-ins while the truck was still lodged in the house.
0: Coming up, a family search for answers after a heartbreaking death.
6: It happened within hours of him being discharged.
1: How they missed the chance to help save a loved one in crisis.
0: Well, the menopause struggle is real for countless women, and a new report says too many are suffering needlessly. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the study recommends a treatment that was once considered too risky.
13: For the past 10 years, Shirley Weir has been helping women navigate menopause through her business, Menopause Chicks. I point women towards quality health
0: information that's evidence-based. And I also teach women how their hormones work when their cycles are regular so that they can make a plan for when
13: they're not. Menopause symptoms can be debilitating. In fact, A new paper in the Canadian Medical Association Journal suggests women are suffering needlessly and should be given the option of hormone therapy, which can reduce hot flashes by 90% and lower the risk of fractures. When you look specifically at younger women, so women who are 50 to 60, which is the, uh, the recent menopausal women in that age group, the menopause treatments, specifically hormone therapy, can be quite beneficial and the benefits outweigh the risks. In the past, hormone therapy was linked to higher rates of breast cancer and stroke. It's now believed those risks are very small. Since then, and actually very quickly after that initial study was published, the authors realized that the the ages of the women included were quite old. The mean age was 63, with many women as old as in their 70s. Shirley Weir says the new study is encouraging. It's another tool that we can point women towards and that doctors can be directed to as well. Some people may feel uncomfortable talking about menopause, but the experts say it's well worth having a conversation and not suffering in silence. Catherine Urquhart, Global News.
1: The family of a Vancouver Island man is demanding answers and accountability from Island Health tonight after he was discharged from hospital without their knowledge and took his own life. Kylie Stanton reports.
16: Oh, I love this one. Photos fill these pages, but there's an emptiness here that can't
6: be ignored. You know, my brother was very much a gentle soul. Um, He loved being outdoors, he loved hiking, loved dogs. James Zimmer also had
16: a family who loved him in the good times. He started having this desire to help others. But also...
6: The bad. There had been numerous um, suicide attempts. It wasn't just um, a thought like he actually had articulated plans.
16: On February 7th of this year the sisters and their mother took Zimmer to get help. The 50 year old was readmitted to psychiatric emergency
6: services at Royal Jubilee Hospital. I said please can I be called before he's discharged and she had agreed as long as James was okay with it, that I could get a call. And he said yes.
16: Zimmers stayed the night, but by lunchtime the following day, he was discharged. And according to the family, no call was made. A few hours later, he returned and was readmitted. And on February
6: 9th, discharged again. And there was no call to family. There was no family collateral.
16: It would be another day before the family figured out What was happening?
6: It was probably within about a half an hour of realizing that he had been discharged. We had a police officer come to the door and uh, inform me that somebody had found him. Do you think a phone call would have saved your brother's life? Absolutely. And I think it's negligent to have not made that call.
16: According to the Mental Health Act, notice must be given to a near relative of an involuntary patient immediately after discharging. But it's clear in Zimmer's case...
6: That was not followed. These are people's lives. And I find it frankly shocking and beyond disturbing that the government has not done more.
14: We have a a system now of um, uh, auditing compliance of the process that designated uh, mental health facilities undergo. This is clearly a terrible tragedy. My condolences go to the family.
16: But the family says the issue in Zimmer's case is the grey area. According to Island Health, patients assessed as having the capability to make decisions have the right to change their consent. This includes consent about alerting family about their discharge.
6: They created the crack that my brother fell into, and I just do not want this to happen to anybody else. And so they're calling for real change. Nothing will bring
16: their brother back, but finding purpose in his tragic death may start to fill the void he's left behind.
6: All we can do is fight for those that are left um, because my brother never got that chance and he could still, in some way, help other people the way he wanted to just days before he died. Kylie Stanton,
0: Global News, Victoria. Iran's deadly crackdown on protests.
6: At least 223 people have
1: been executed.
0: B.C. families watching what's going on in horror with loved ones caught in the regime's execution spree.
1: And coming up, uh, shocking autopsy details from a forensic pathologist at the Ibrahim Ali murder trial. The trial of the man accused of killing a young Burnaby teenager has heard some shocking testimony from the forensic pathologist who conducted the autopsy.
0: First, though, a warning. Some of the details are disturbing. Romina Dea reports. Crown counsel warning the jurors the
15: evidence they were about to see contains difficult images, photographs from the autopsy of the young teen, the cause of death, strangulation, in the opinion of forensic pathologist dr jason morin Morn conducted the autopsy of the teen july 20th 2017 the day after her body was discovered in burnaby central park the girl cannot be identified because of a publication ban her pink wallet and cell phone found by police in the forest white earphones also found nearby it's unclear who they belong to Dr. Moran told the jury there were small pinpoint hemorrhages on the teen's face. Her blue jean shorts and pink underwear pulled down, red and brown staining on both. It's unclear what it is. Moran described injuries on and inside the teen's body. Sperm identified inside the girl. Why is this important? Crown is trying to prove the accused. Ibrahim Ali strangled the teenager to death in the course of sexually assaulting her. Ali's seaman found inside the teen, says Crown. Ali has told the jury he did not kill the girl. He has pleaded not guilty to first-degree murder. Defense has yet to cross-examine Dr. Moran. The trial, which began last month, is expected to last three months. Ramina Dea, Global
1: News. The international community is watching a stunning crackdown on dissent in Iran. The United Nations calls it an execution spree. Negar Mojtahedi has the heart-wrenching details after speaking to an Iranian living in exile here in BC.
10: This little girl, begging Iranian authorities to spare the life of her father, Abdullah Khan Mahmoudi was executed the next day.
6: The Iranian regime, the, what I would call their killing machine. <laughs>
10: The founder of Iran Human Rights says in just the month of May, at least 59 people have been executed. Since the start of this year, 223.
6: You don't find these numbers anywhere
10: else. Most recently, two people killed on blasphemy charges. Hang not for what they did, but for how they thought.
6: They had found something on, your, on their cell phones. And for that, they were hanged.
10: <laughs> the majority of people executed from ethnic and religious minorities, like the Baluch. Khudai
15: Noor Baluch. they tied him to a pole. And they didn't give him a, a, a drop of water to drink. And they put a, a bottle in front of him, a bottle of water in front of him. And he died bleeding there.
10: According to Iran Human Rights, the baluch made up one-third of all executions in 2022, yet they account for less than 5% of Iran's population. Last
15: 100 days they have hanged 89 Baluchs.
10: What else is uh, genocide? Professor Nayeli Quadri Baluch, a politician and activist, fled because of death threats. She lives in Port Coquitlam in exile. Killing Baluch in a cold-blooded
15: manner in the name of uh, enemies of God. It's not only Baluch, Baluch is at the forefront. Because
10: baluts are not sitting down, baluts are not shutting up. She's watching what's going on back home in horror.
17: <laughs>
10: Says she's appalled the United Nations recently appointed Iran to the Human Rights Council Social Forum. They kill, they hang, they torture, they rape. And they are the champions of human rights in the United Nations. Activists calling for the international community to act to save lives. Nagar Moshehedi, Global News.
0: A warmer weather means people are opening their windows, and that is increasing the risk of falls for children.
4: That's a, a window protector.
0: These small devices cost as little as $5 and can prevent a window from opening too far. They're easy to install and could just save your child's life. Doctors at BC Children's Hospital have treated five children who fell from windows already this year. Their average age, between three and six years.
4: At this age, their heads are bigger than the rest of their bodies, proportionately. And um, because their center of gravity is higher up, and um, when they fall out of a window, they tend to fall forward and injure their heads. There's a resulting brain injury that can happen as a result of this, and as well as spine injuries and a bunch of other serious injuries that we see.
0: The most common injuries are head injuries and broken bones, although some children tragically die from their falls.
1: Coming up, we hope you'll join us in remembering our beloved anchor and friend, Deb Hope.
17: It
0: seems to me that these women have a legitimate I said no complaint. comment. I said no comment.
1: A tenacious journalist with a great sense of humor.
0: Deb's gift to BC Broadcasting in a special report later. Well, if you've been hoping to cool off this spring with a dip in the Kitts Beach pool, it'll be a while.
1: Remember that? The pool suffered some major storm damage back in 2021. Since then... Crews have been filling cracks and trying to get the pool operational, but the Parks Board needs to conduct a number of tests before the pool can open again to the public. However, Vancouver's other outdoor pools are set to open on Saturday, the same day lifeguards return to eight city beaches.
0: Be nice to cool off. Nice place to cool off. No doubt. We're open. All right, let's bring in uh, meteorologist Christy Gordon with a look at This heat we've been um, having of late,
11: record-breaking, Christy. Third day in a row of record-breaking conditions. Yesterday, we broke 33 of them across the province. We don't have the official numbers from today. This is just giving you an example. But there's likely going to be at least 20, I think, from today, if not more than that. Lytton was a hotspot or is a hotspot across Canada at 36.5. Pemberton and uh, Port Alberni, by the way, may have broken Monthly records. So these numbers you see here are the daily records. So a record for this day, but it looks like there's a chance Pemberton and Port Alberni actually broke their monthly. So the hottest temperature ever recorded in May. It is hot out there. Uh, fire, fire danger rating I wanted to show you. It's red all across Alberta, Saskatchewan. We've got patchy conditions across the BC area, but we still have another five to seven days of this dry weather. So be really careful. It is so dry out there. Uh, we've seen a few fires uh, uh, be ignited. Throughout the day and it's uh, doesn't need uh, we don't need to add any more to this uh, with any human-caused fires look at all the lightning strikes it's really tight close to the border and we will likely see a similar scenario again tomorrow afternoon so things will settle down this evening and then pop up again in very similar areas right along the border so the southern parts of the Okanagan right into the Fraser Valley area this is a look at the trend we're expecting in terms of a drop or final relief from this heat it's not until Monday for most areas across the province the south coast may see it a little bit earlier on Sunday, but overall we still have a good five to seven days of this heat on the way. We've had some additions to the uh, flood advisory for all of the Fraser River now, now under a high stream flow advisory, parts of the central interior region under a high stream flow advisory and the Skeena now under a flood watch. We also have a air quality advisory for northeast Metro Vancouver all the way through the Fraser Valley. This is for ground level ozone, which happens in a scenario where we get high pressure in in place. So we're basically seeing from all the pollution from the cars, that's turning to ground-level ozone. There is that fire near Mission, and we are seeing some haze from that, but it's not actually elevating the fine particulate matter. Uh, we will see sunny skies across the region, but again, that risk of thunderstorms for just the far southern parts of the province, and then for our region, we will see a little bit of cloud cover, but overall it'll be hot once again. 23 by the water, and potentially 30 degrees away from the water. And as I mentioned, we've got a good 5 to seven days of this on the way looking at that five-day forecast you can certainly see that we are a good 10 to 15 degrees above seasonal for this time of year it's not cooling off much at night dal sending us this one from vernon and i just love this shot uh, showing all the greenery so yes that looks nice and moist and green but just a good reminder once again everyone it is so dry out there and we do not have any significant rain back to you two
1: Right. Thoughts for all those firefighters battling the wildfires in, in B.C. and Alberta. Thanks very much, Christy.
11: All
0: right, Squires here with a look ahead at sports.
4: Yes, I'm sorry, I completely forgot to put my tie on. But Full you have passes. one today. You, you've been busy today. I've been busy today. Okay, we're going to talk about the Alliance training camp. We sent Jay up the Kamloops, and he'll be talking to the uh, head coach, Rick Campbell. We'll also show you what's going on in Dallas, Game 7, Kraken and Stars, and how Canada did at the World Hockey Championship. Nice.
0: Also coming up, damp hope and in that infamous laugh. There's nothing <laughs> stopping these. <laughs> Remembering our friend and how she blazed a trail for female journalists.
1: How to tie a tie in 30 seconds or less by Squire Barnes. Oh,
0: you did put one on him. See?
1: <laughs> I'm like Batman. That was fast. I saw the bat
0: well.
4: signal that said put a tie on, so I think I, I, think I got this. Okay. Might good. be a little crooked. I'm not sure. No, it's close. That's good. So the uh, BC Lions are up in Kamloops. That's their familiar home for training camp, and they're coming off a good season. They went 12-6. and 6. They won a playoff game, came within a win of the Grey Cup. And there have been a few big departures from last year until this year, of course. Nathan Rourke is no longer a BC Lion, Brian Burnham retired, but like every year, there's a whole bunch of football players who are in Kamloops looking for a job. And the man who decides if they get a job or not is Rick Campbell, the Lions head coach, who is with Jay.
17: Well, just a beautiful day up here in Kamloops for day two of the BC Lions training camp. Head coach Rick Campbell dealing with 100 players on the football field. It's like military position, the way that you guys go through drill after drill. First off, how do you manage them all and the planning that goes into a full training camp?
7: The planning is huge. I learned that from a young age as a coach, is that if you're organized, you got a chance. If you're not organized from the time the sun comes up to the time the sun goes down, it just doesn't work. So we put a lot of effort into this, making sure everything from meals to treatment to meetings to practice, everything throughout the day, um, you really got to be on top of it, and when you do that, it makes it more fun because then you're not spending your time trying to organize people. You can spend your time coaching and playing football, and uh, the schedule takes care of itself.
17: A couple weeks up here in Camus. Do you gradually build into training camp, or do you automatically hit the ground running?
7: No, we got to hit the ground running. It's it's not long. It's uh, you know we're uh, I don't know three to three and a half weeks up here, which isn't very long for us to get ready to play you know a real football game. So we got to make every day count. So yesterday was our first day with the first group, the the whole football team, and you know we had we had to get after it right away. And so we we always talk about making each day count and making sure it's a positive, so that uh, you know we're ready to play good football in June. And
17: of course, every player wants to make it count at training camp to make the football team i've always been curious when it comes time to having that difficult conversation when you have to let players go how does the conversation go and and, and do, are you just straight out and in assessing them or, or are you gentle when you let them down
7: yeah it's um the no question the least fun part of the job these guys bust their butts to get in shape and you know the dream of playing pro sports and so the thing we'd is just honest with them at the end of the day be honest with people and um and and go from there so it's 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 not a fun part of the job but I think if you're honest and and up front um I think people get it at the end of the day and um I always try to make decisions well I do make decisions on what's best for the BC Lions um, not what's best for an individual so we're always looking out for the team and we just try to pee, pee, treat people well treat them fairly and uh, that's uh, definitely a tough part of the job.
17: Okay, make it the tough part of the job. I'm sitting in your office. You've seen my performance. Let me go.
7: Well, we appreciate you and your efforts, but stick to your day job as a sportscaster, all right?
17: (laughs) Thanks, Rick. I've officially been cut from BC Lions training camp.
4: And Jay took it like a man, too. I'm proud of him. Okay, Game 7 stars cracking. No goals until late in the second. Whoop, mistake! And Rupee hints. 24 takes it off 24 Alexiak gives it up and Hint scores and after two periods it's 1-0 for Dallas. Winner plays Vegas. All right. so uh, Canada taking on Slovakia today at the World Hockey Championships. Jake Neighbors gives Canada the uh, 1-0 lead. It's a nice goal. Came early in the game but that's the only goal Canada would get in regulation. They allowed only one goal in regulation. Great night for uh, Sam Montembeau who normally plays goal for the Montreal Canadiens but... Now he's playing for the Canadian-Canadians. And he made 23 saves in this one, and he had to make a whole lot of saves in the shootout. This shootout just kept going and going and going, and the uh, winning goal was Jack Quinn. Although there was one more shot after this for Slovakia, so Montembeau had to be called on one more time to save his team, and he did. And Canada wins it in a shootout 2-1 over Slovakia take on Kazakhstan Wednesday.
1: There you go. All right, thanks Squire. Up next, how it was Deb Hope's Newsroom. We were all just lucky to work in it. Jeff, one of the guys uh who is key to producing this program every night, kindly left boxes of Kleenex, one, tissue paper. One for each. We lost a giant in the global family today.
0: A giant who was very petite. Yes, she was. But she had a giant personality and giant laugh and a giant smile, Squire.
4: That's true. And um, her spirit lives in this building, has been in this building since the day she walked in, and it will never leave.
1: Right now, the new news hour with Deborah Hope.
10: Good afternoon. A state of emergency.
4: To the millions of people who watched and loved Deb Hope over the years, I'm sure many wished they had really known her. Well, it's safe to say that you did. Because the Deb Hope you saw on television was the same Deb Hope her family, friends, and colleagues saw.
2: You know, Deb was uh, such a such a professional. Um, she was probably the hardest working person in the entire newsroom when I worked with her, and also when I worked with her, um, it was it was the laugh and the smile and those eyes of hers. Uh, she was a, a remarkable person. Okay, we'll see. But he
5: might be a little biased. <laughs> <You> think?
2: <laughs> I think. <laughs> she
3: had no
1: errors about her. She was honest about what she was reporting. She was a digger, she went out and she looked for stories and she would come back with the best angles you could ever think of. She was just really, really good at her job and really, really good at being Just Deb.
4: Just Deb had many facets. She was a Swiss army knife of a reporter and that's how she always saw herself. Even though she was best known as an anchor, she was always a reporter first.
3: And She came at it from an every woman's, or every person's point of view. None of this insider baseball stuff or real technical stuff. Just stuff that basically normal people can relate to on an everyday basis. And again, a tremendous sense of what people really wanted to see on the newscast and what they wanted to hear about.
5: Who's watching the story with me? This could be yours.
4: Charities benefited from Deb Hope's tireless efforts as well, such as the BCSPCA, the Adopt-a-Pet segment that she started on the noon show found homes for thousands of animals. She made a difference on this earth. How many people can
10: say that? She made such a huge difference.
4: And in a business that requires a lot of seriousness, Deb Hope was never afraid to laugh.
5: <laughs> and there's nothing stopping these <laughs>
1: <laughs> it, it was a laugh, but it was an explosion. And if she did it on air, her head went back like this, and it just, it did, it filled the room.
4: Another talent of Deb's was singing. And in our search for memories of her, she provided us the perfect song to remember her by.
11: Unforgettable that's what you are
3: unforgettable no
0: near or far oh deb
14: mm-hmm.
0: premier david eby also paying tribute to deb today posting on twitter this is incredibly sad news many british Columbians grew up watching deb on tv premier didn't cry when he wrote this tweet, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she inspired and mentored many to become journalists as well. My thoughts go out to her family and loved ones. Her legacy will never be forgotten. And it's so true. And um, I sort of alluded to this earlier in the newscast, but how she supported and mentored and encouraged young women who um, came in the door at Global. And I know Christy felt the same way.
6: hmm
4: and her husband, Roger, and you saw the photo right at the end of her family. Roger has worked with us for many years as a cameraman. That's how they met. They met here. He said today they were inundated with emails from people within the industry, many of whom told Roger how much Deb had mentored them and how much she helped them become a
1: better journalist. She she welcomed me in, in these doors.
0: All of us. Yeah. We love Thank- you, Deb.
1: Thanks, Deb.